The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to those expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the OSA Foundation Incorporated or any other group or individual. This podcast may contain dialogue or subject material that could be considered for mature audiences only. All aspects of how you play the game and the OSIP Foundation Incorporated are protected by copyright and other state and federal intellectual property laws. Unauthorized use without the express written consent of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated is strictly prohibited. If you're interested in sponsoring how you play the game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. Well, it's that time again. No, it's not time to hear the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise. It's time for How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the Osa Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the second episode of the month of January. The year is 2021. Glad you can be with us. As always, check us out online at osafoundation.org. You can contact the show via email with the address podcast at osafoundation.org and on social media at facebook.com slash osafoundation.org. Foundation and Twitter and Instagram at OSA Foundation, hashtag how you play the game. Across the way from us on the screen, as always, is the producer engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, hello. How are you? Good morning. Afternoon. It's, afternoon. It, I'm, I'm fine, but you don't know how clocks work, do you? No, they're just a diagram of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, if it's, is it a circle? I mean, what if it's, what if it's digital? I don't know. Uh, okay, we've lost I Sean only, already. I only look at circle clocks. So, okay. Uh, let the let the record state that Sean is um, prejudiced against polygons. Yep. So okay, that, so, no wonder you never played an N sixty four game. I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> Come on, we all grew up with N sixty four. Yeah, it's just that that's how you developed your your discrimination against polygons, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, now that we know that the producer engineers are racist, let's welcome our guest. <laughs> uh, coming back to the show, friend of the show, you may remember him from. Uh, it was either last year or the year before when we did our Sportsmanship in the Music Business podcast. I think it was last year. Was it last year? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Uh, again, calendars, diagrams of dates, prejudice. Um, rejoining the show, our good friend, Mr. Philip Vasta. Phil, what's up? How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just, you know, hanging out. All right. Well, I mean, that's... Nothing, nothing too exciting going on. Well, that's better than... Uh, you know what's going on in the background of your of your uh, your Zoom background there, but that's fine. You know, so uh, anyway, Phil's joining us today because we have a very interesting idea that we wanted to uh, kind of go with a little bit here. Um, you know, we are uh, just a couple of weeks removed from the season finale of season two of The Mandalorian, which, as we all know, is uh, a Star Wars show on Disney Plus. And as uh, Sean and I were watching it, we, we were getting into major discussions. And I think I just kind of threw out the idea of sportsmanship in Star Wars. And it was like, oh, we got to run with this and see what we can do with it. So, so we called Phil because Phil is kind of an objective fan, not particularly at the same ridiculous level. <laughs> Would you agree that, that, that Sean and I can be? Yeah. So. Phil, Phil is the voice of reason. You know, the, the, the it's all relative. Right? Exactly. The relative, he is the relative placebo, if you will. So, um, oh, I see what you did there. See what I did there. So, so I think, so it's, it's, it's good to have, uh, someone who's not, uh, as, as, um, well, pick whatever charged. word you want. Yeah. Let's go charged as someone like Sean and I might be on the topic. 
And uh, we want to we wanted kind of discuss and uh, toss back and forth the ideas of, uh, of sportsmanship in a galaxy far, far away. Um, you know, as, as Sean and I were, were starting to brainstorm and workshop the idea, you know, I think, I think it kind of starts with, as, as we look at this, is the definition here, as we kind of try and correlate this stuff, you know, we think of sportsmanship as a quality that comes into play when we're dealing mostly with competition, whether it be in a sport where there is, you know, athletic and physical dexterity, or if it's in, you know, a game of chess or, you know, a tabletop game or something like that. And we've, I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that sportsmanship doesn't always necessarily overlap with that idea. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely not an either or, it can be a both and. And when we look at sportsmanship in the world of, shall we say, art, um, you know, as we kind of proved in our, to- our topics uh, about the music business last year, um, you know, the, the same tenets apply. You know, it's just not in a competitive landscape, but you're still trying to treat others as you would wish to be treated. You're still trying to do the right thing. You're still trying to make you know, good judgments on character and, and, and morals and so on and so forth. And we can kind of, you know, list these, you know, ad nauseum if we want, but it's better to think I just, ju- just, just jump into it now because now we see that, you know, th- this whole thing kind of started when we started debating how, in our opinion, the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, which are 16 episodes each approximately averaged out to be about an hour long each, were light years, no pun intended, ahead of the five movies that have been produced Mm -hmm. since the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney. And that, I think, Sean, led you to say that, well, it kind of goes back to George Lucas when he decided to do the prequels. Right. And we started to kind of jump into that a little bit because of, I think, as you... Go ahead, Sean. I think first we talked about sportsmanship amongst the fans uh, briefly, but then we said that that topic was too broad. And it also... There's it, it, so many differing opinions and <clears throat> and uh, just... It, 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 we just wanted to focus on a, a couple of people within the franchise. Well, not only that, but the, the idea of the, the quote-unquote fanboys is a larger topic that I think we're going to get into in a later episode. So that was another impetus for us to focus right. on that. And, and when you looked at George Lucas with the prequels mm-hmm. as, as kind of where we dropped the needle to begin, you know, I think the first question you asked was, for whom are you making these movies? Ah, very yes. good, gra- good grammar. <laughs> Thank you. And you, and you said, are you making these movies for the older generation where, you know, they grew up with the original trilogy and you're trying to add to that story? Or are you making these movies for the new generation to bring in a new generation of Star Wars fans? Because there was no clear-cut answer. Right. And it became, obvi- it became evident when, you know, I, I, one of the, and, and Phil and I always make fun of these, uh, the the uh, Plinkett red letter media review mm. uh, prequel reviews right. um, that are just, they're really funny, but they're, uh, I, I feel like they're pretty 
eye-opening because he he knows what he's talking about. Right. Um, if you really listen to how this guy addresses various issues with the prequels, but the, one of the most glaring issues was, you know, his focus on George Lucas and, you know, what at what point does he sort of veer from the that rogue filmmaker that he's always wanted to be to sort of a power you know sort of a power grab and 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 money making machine um which then sort of he kind of, he kind of becomes the thing that he despised in the <laughs> beginning right he which- he you Which know, was culminating he, in episode three, of course. Right, you know, right. So, so <laughs> the, when he made, if you if you jump back all the way to episode four, I mean, you have to consider the term of art through adversity, right? Mm-hmm. Everything went wrong with that film, episode four, during the production. Nothing worked right. There was constant gaffes on screen, and a constant everything went wrong. And they, they were patching together and it took a long time to film. He wasn't even sure if the audience would like it. Uh, it. It was, you know, it was a train wreck almost the entire way through. But what they were able to pull together in the end was a, a, a work of art, really, from, from all of the issues that they've had. And that was because... George Lucas and Jack, you mentioned this, his, his, his wife, right? At the at time, time yeah. was, was sort of a sounding board for his ideas. And she would basically say, no, this isn't good. This doesn't work. Change this, change that. Coupled with other people's suggestions as well, you know, created these, that, that first movie as this, and in and, and, and my opinion, the best one, I think episode four, is the the quintessential space opera that you the, the you know the small town the small homeboy town hero becomes you know the, or this farmhand becomes the hero in the end right through adversity and everything but um that's how he created those movies and he and you could see the quality in those movies and and the real emotion and the real just the realness of it in general. Right. But when we fast forward to the prequels, by that time, Star Wars has become so established. And he is, you know, he made the re-release in the 90s. He, re- re- he, re- he remastered the, uh, the first three movies. He milked as much money from that as he possibly could. And I understand that movie making is a business. Okay. I, I get that. But one of the examples that, you know, that, that Plinkett mentions in his Star Wars review of, of, of The Phantom Menace was that the, the toys that were released and the merchandise was a byproduct of the movie. Whereas now, or when the prequels came out, the toys came out just before the movies, you know? And, mm-hmm. and we, we knew little about the characters at that point, the new characters that they introduced. So how could we develop an emotional or vested attachment to those characters when we haven't even seen the movies yet? Right. Right. So he was sort of milking on the anticip- milking that idea on the anticipation of the new movies. So I, I think there was definitely a money grab involved uh, with, with regard to the prequels. 
And at that point, how much does that dilute or dilute the, the, the artistic integrity of, of, of the franchise? You know what I mean? Yeah. So he there, there has to be a balance struck here with that. And I think he went a little bit overboard with regard to the merchandising and the, 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 you know, taking the shortcuts, using too much CGI. Um, and again, this is my opinion. We're, we're speaking specifically about the prequels here. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. About the, about the Phantom Menace and, and the two movies that followed. Um, so at what point do you ask yourselves, well, you know, he's just kind of taking it easy. Uh, you know, he's sitting within the comfort of a sterile environment with his cup of coffee, sitting down in his chair, not really moving around and interacting with the characters. And he's just looking at two screens and I understand you have more technology when you have more technology with which to work, uh, you have <laughs> more possibilities, right? And your vision can be realized. I understand that. But there has to be a balance of realism. And I think he completely went the other way with it. And he didn't have, and the, the, the people who questioned him creatively, he probably got rid of lo a long time ago when it came to these, when it came to the prequels. So that's an act of sportsmanship in itself. Because although the director should make most of the shot could, should make most of the calls in, a, in, a, in the creation of a movie. It's a very, it's a collaborative process. And as, and Jack, as you said to me, when you see the, the video clips of, of the behind the scenes footage of these movies being made, you can definitely see people question, like, look, are like scared stiff around Lucas and are sort of questioning his motives and, Every once in a while, someone gives a like a like a hmm. I don't I don't I don't know about that. That kind of look. Um, you know, you and you were also what you were telling me about when General Grievous when they made the General Grievous character. Yeah, they there's there's some on one of the extras on one of the DVDs, Blu-rays, whatever discs we're at now. Um, you know, the story of how some of these characters come to be created is such where he would he would just kind of give this blanket idea to his you know design team to draw ca a character based upon some of the ideas that he had they would then sketch the character and everybody would put their sketches up on like a bulletin board and he would come up with a little stamp and the ones that he liked he would stamp and say let's run with these now and try and make a better character based upon that and, you know, the idea is that although, as you said, the director gets to make the final creative call, you could sense how some people were a little afraid as they would pitch the ideas to George Lucas. And the fact of the matter is that when you are working in a collaborative artistic effort such as that, you, you should not allow or you should not have people working in fear. You know, you, we, we see it a lot in the music business as we, as we educate and as we collaborate and whatnot. We, we, we seem to get better results when we choose our words properly and look to uh, 
take someone's idea and kind of build off of it rather than outright reject it. If someone says something to me in a musical environment that I, you know, something where I, you know, creatively where I just look at it and I'm like, no, there's, there's no way that that's happening. I'm more apt to say something along the lines of, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm not sure I like it like that, but what if we did X, Y, and Z with it? Because if you continue to cultivate it, if you continue to try and adapt it, edit it, revise it, whatever the case may be, improve it, you might find something that you do like. You don't want to just toss it out saying, nope, that's not it. Um, and it's seen and it coldly exploits it coldly exploits the talents of these artists right well i mean but that's the kind of thing that goes into some of this business anyway no matter if we're talking about graphic right. design or music or whatever i mean there is a slight level of exploitation and when we you know not to play devil's advocate here but there are certain parts of this as we talk about george lucas where I don't think that it's as cut and dry with him as it is with other topics that we will eventually discuss in this episode. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. he, he is definitely not the villain per se. Mm -hmm. um, you know, could he, he have made some better decisions? Possibly. Could he have expressed his ideas better? Certainly. Mm -hmm. you, know, um, you know, we don't know the guy, so his personality could have been such where he just did not have the ability to properly express and communicate in that manner, um, right. which is, which is and, totally fine. And also, may I interject this? Please. You're the guest. You have to listen to me. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you know what? It makes me, uh, what pops into my head too is for as much as, uh, I agree that, you know, in the, in the arts, collaboration is huge. Of course, I keep looking at my screen and seeing myself pop back in. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, obviously, collaboration can lead to wonderful things. And, you, you know, when you take somebody else's ideas into account and, and truly take them, you know, embrace them and see where the ideas will go, it can be great. On the other hand, um, you know, there is something to be said. I mean, I almost hate to bring this up because I feel like he's brought up too much. But, you know, when people talk about Steve Jobs with Apple, he when he came back to Apple, he he <laughs> he was kind of a dictator. Like yeah. he 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 said, we're doing this, this and this. And, you know, and that having a clear vision is also worth you know it, it, i guess the i guess the point i'm trying to make is where do you where do you draw that line between having a vision that's that you don't want to get derailed but then also being able to take um other people's opinions and <clears throat> thoughts in a creative uh sense and and incorporate like incorporating them into that vision without it without it um you know creating a more of a hassle or something that goes away from your vision you right know? right something what, that enhances it yeah exactly good I, 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 I think you know what we, <clears throat> we should remember is the concept of gestalt right 
you know, the, the idea that the, the smaller parts put together are greater than the whole. And, you know, the, the idea that you have a director that, the, 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 the purpose of a director, and, and I could speak from this from uh, uh, the, the music business standpoint, <clears throat> again, in, in terms of composing music for a film, let's say, although the director calls the, the shots and what music is used, the composer, if they're familiar enough with the franchise or the movie or the characters, can offer some insight into the creation of the music as, as well. And when you, when you look at Star Wars, um, n not criticizing the music of Star Wars, of course, uh, but I'm talking about the actors in particular. When you, when you let the actors decide, make some decisions about the characters, mm -hmm. they can offer insight that the director might not even think of because the yeah. director has their fingers in so many aspects of the film, they can sort of forget this more specific, um, more specific elements that when consulting those involved can offer insight that the director never even thought of. And perhaps they can go in, in that sort of direction. So there are definitely, you have to consider all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, when you when you put them together yeah there are there are definitely parts of a, a a collaborative working environment where whoever the head honcho is <clears throat> he or she has to be able to be open to other ideas from from people who might be considered lower on the totem pole now the the, the nature or the dynamic of the relationship is such that the director, who, who is probably at the top, does get to have the final say. And sportsmanship really comes into play when you choose properly how to have that dialogue. You know, um, how, do you, how do you allow somebody to come in and provide you with constructive criticism and how do you take it? And, and, and I think, you know, you talk, we talk about this on different levels. You know, constructive criticism, I think, it is something where the person who is receiving it is equally as important as the person who is giving it because it can be so touchy. You know, if, if you don't know how to properly offer constructive criticism, it's going to go into oblivion. It's, it's never going to get anywhere. Yeah. And constructive criticism is something where if you choose your words and your tone and your approach properly, it doesn't matter where you fall on the totem pole, you know, the, the person receiving it will then realize that he or she can take all of it, take some of it, take a little of it, or take none of it. Because I think when we receive cr constructive criticism, our defenses immediately go up unless mm -hmm. we um, are, are, are disarmed by the person who's giving it from the get-go. And that, I think, is a very, very important quality that needs to be grown in more people. I know that in the music industry, I've, I've dealt with that, you know, and especially at like the, the teacher-student level. You know, if you're, if you're the teacher, however you want to define that as professor or, or, or you know, um, you know a, a general private educator or something like that, the student 
still needs to understand that he or she falls into that lesser category, that lower category within the relationship. But that doesn't mean that the student needs to be on the defensive and can't go to the teacher with requests of things of this is what I think I need in order to do this. And, and that, that volley back and forth is essential to getting the most out of that relationship. And it would appear that as we reach the prequel era, that is something that perhaps George Lucas did not take into account. Um, you know, we've mentioned his then wife, I think her name was Marcia Lucas. When, when George was writing the original trilogy, the reason that the dialogue worked as well as it did was because of, of Marcia Lucas. Um, she was the sounding board for the dialogue because the story was all George. It was, you know, as it was in the prequel era, the story was all him. And as you can see, the story in the prequel era was just as sound as it was in the original trilogy, but the dialogue was severely lacking. And that's because he was divorced and, and Marsha wasn't around then. And, you know, as we'll eventually see as we get into the, the sequel trilogy later, it was the exact opposite, where the dialogue was great, but the, the story and everything was a, a, a complete bomb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, that's a, and that's a great point. I never thought about it from that angle. But yeah, it's, it's, totally it's agree. if you were to take the story mm-hmm. elements from the, the, the prequel era and the, uh, the, the, the dialogue and character developments and whatnot of the sequel era and put them together, you would probably have a product that equals the original mm-hmm. trilogy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think we we see in the prequels a product that, just does not measure up to the original trilogy. Uh, you know, by, by contrast, I'll defend George Lucas's decisions in certain places in the prequel era. For example, I defend a certain level of his use of CGI in the prequel era and a certain use of hokey dialogue in the prequel era because it was a different era in right. his timeline. It was a much more regal time. It was a much more uh, formal time. You know, the, 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 the Jedi Knights and, and, and the Jedi Order were still very much alive and, and thriving. Um, you know, whereas in the original trilogy, you have this, this period of turmoil and, and a real free-for-all so you don't need that same seriousness of, you know, of maladies and things like that, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, that, that go into that type of dialogue with the royalty that you have. Um, may, I, may I pause you for one second? I sure. really apologize. One, a couple things. Um, can you hear my cat is snoring very loudly in the background and I, and I just want to make sure that's not. Uh, I, 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 cannot, I cannot hear your cat, but I wish Wait. I could. Great. Okay. Um, this the second thing is, is that code. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I can I can't hear your cat, but I wish I could. <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Um, Mature audiences only. Uh, <laughs> Phil lost his train of thought because uh, yeah. of me. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, were you kind of finished with your thought? <laughs> Or did I totally... <laughs> no, you can go ahead. Can I, it, Sean, well, edit all this out, okay? Uh, no. Just, <laughs> just 
just going along with what you're saying about you know the CGI and stuff, um, and you know creative choices. I think uh, you know I've somewhat recently watched the uh, watched the prequels again. I watched like the entire the entire series from its its chronological beginning um, through, and for one thing, I was very watching it now and as as an adult like like you were pointing out the um the setting and the story was actually like pretty fascinating like yeah. political like political uh politically speaking and everything it was mm-hmm. i found it very interesting cgi wise i think it's easy for us to now um and it was it was criticized at the time as well of course but Especially now, you look back at it and you look at the CGI and you're like, "Man, that looks awful!" Like, why didn't they do? Why didn't they do what they did before? But, More practical effects. But it's all, yeah. which is which is true. But at the same time, you got to consider everybody. All movies were doing the whole CGI thing mm. to some degree, and again, just. You know, thinking back to what you were saying about um, about taking others' ideas and everything, you have to. I think a key, I think a key element um, of sportsmanship is having empathy, and you have to. When you think about perhaps George Lucas's um, or George Lucas, as with an apostrophe, <laughs> grammar, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when you think about maybe what frame of mind he was in, and I don't know this for a fact, but you know, you're coming off of the success, this tremendous success of the original movies. And you know, you're coming he's coming out with another Star Wars trilogy. You can imagine the amount riding on that and the amount of pressure that he must have been under to not to not ironically have it be a flop yeah so it's got to be bigger and better and using as much of the the newest advances as you could probably fit in there and again i'm i'm speaking this i'm saying this without knowing that that's what he was thinking but you can kind of imagine that with all that was riding on uh this new trilogy using things like that cgi would have been much more tempting than us looking back on it now. I, yeah, I, you know, you mentioned I, I, that's. Yeah, I mean that stuff doesn't really age that well when, it, when you when you think of the technology. But Jack, you were going to say something. I was just going to say real quick. Could it be? You know, you you talk, Sean. You talked about the money grab mm-hmm. aspect. Could he have gone into the prequels thinking? Even if this flops, it doesn't matter. It's Star Wars. I'm going to make three movies. I'm going to make a butt ton of money. Period. Yep. Because it. Be, I mean, listen. We were all excited for the for the prequel trilogy when it first came out, and we were going to go see it regardless. Regardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, no? Even right. if it even if it blew, we were going to see it, and 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 the other movies as well. I mean, yeah. that's because George Lucas knew how to reach his fans i mean it's but at the same time here's the problem because we have to go back to 
his creative choices, right? Why, mm-hmm. what, who, for whom was, were the movies, <laughs> were the movies uh, marketed? Were they marketed to the, the, the older generation who grew up with the original trilogy? Were they marketed towards the in-betweens who saw the, the re-releases? Were they marketed towards the younger kids? We don't like, because there are so many <laughs> different elements in that movie that like he tried to, he tried to do everything. Right? And by- so there, there, there was like what, there was one scene where Palpatine was talking about the taxation of trade routes in a political <laughs> setting amongst yes. the senators. Like yeah. as a seven year old boy, <laughs> I couldn't get, I would, I don't give two shits about that. <laughs> you know, like, but, but he did have, he did have the, the scene in episode four where they're all sitting around the table on the Death Star and Tark and Invader walk in. I mean, is that not the right. same mm-hmm. thing or is it, is it, is it different because we get the, 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 the I find your lack of faith disturbing moment that kind of like think, takes everybody aback. Yeah, that's I, what it led up to. Yeah. Right? So like that this, it was just stagnant talking about. Uh, it was a, it was very heavy on the, on the, the, the political. It was the, yeah. it was the lack of dialogue. And it was, that was it was the whole yeah. movie. That's yeah. the thing that the trade federation dispute. That was the whole film. Yeah. And, 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 why why were they why why was there a taxation why were there like what was so valuable that they were blockading yeah. wouldn't you want to not blockade trade as the, as yeah. the trade federation right <laughs> like what what was the point of the invasion and the treaty like what if she just cowered and signed the treaty what if what if queen amadala signed the treaty that would have went against Darth Sidious's plan. And then all of a sudden credits roll, you know? <laughs> you ever see those memes of, you know, they, they show one thing and then the next thing you jump to the credit, dun, 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 you know, it's like, I could have saved two hours. And of course the, and of course the credits are then going to be longer than the film. Right. You know? so, so, so here, so one of the things that um, the Plinkett reviews talked about was the end the mul- the um, ending multiplication effect. And you have four different things going on during, during the ending sequence of The Phantom Menace, right? You have the infiltration into the palace, Darth Maul, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon fighting... Um, in the hangar, and the, yeah. Right, in the, in the, the energy... The bowels of, of Feed Palace. Whatever it is, yeah. And, and then you have the, the, the droid battle with the Gungans, and then you have the space battle up ahead. You have four things going on at once. And as you saw like the, 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 the footage from the production, when they were all watching it, even George Lucas was just like, oh my God, what have I done? Like there's so many different <laughs> elements going on, but if I get rid of one of them, that throws off the whole tempo of the movie. So I, they have to stay in. So. And that's why Anakin said, what have I done right. later? So, <laughs> so, so like, if you look back to the, A New Hope, right? There's what, if the movie builds up flawlessly to like one ending, right? Right. Death Star Trench Run. In Empire Strikes Back, you have the two diverging stories of Luke training with Yoda and Han and Leia trying to escape the Imperials and they wind up on Cloud City. In Return of the Jedi, you have the space battle. Luke confronts the Emperor and the battle on Endor. So you have three endings. And then in, and then in episode one, you have the four different endings, right? 
so we should have gotten five in episode two. I know. Why we didn't we... get our money's worth. Right. So he messed up again. Yeah. Um, but but that goes to the whole thing of who are you trying to please? Yeah. Right. You 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 trying to please the kids with the gungans, like the colorful cartoon rabbits? <sighs> are you trying to? Com- if you're going to do that, just put Stuart from Mad TV out there with, look what I can do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but, you know, so those are things you have to consider. Like, I think in a way, George Lucas kind of spread himself a little too thin, um, trying to market to all these different types of audiences. And, if, and, the, and unfortunately, the art suffered yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit as a result. So that's... That's the element of sportsmanship I wanted to bring up with 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 regard to that. Right. Um, so, Jack or Phil, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, to to kind of to kind of further that point, you know, you look at the the ambiguity of who he's to whom he's marketing. If he was marketing for the older generation, he would not have turned out uh, such such a. Uh, you know, uh, a, a giant compost heap of you have no idea what's going on, okay? If he's marketing towards the kids, not only would you not have that, but you wouldn't have a PG-13 movie in episode exactly. three where kids are getting slaughtered, Right. okay? You're, you're just, you know. <laughs> or decapitation. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, listen. Yeah, that's but, for a five-year-old, right? Well, listen. I, he cut off a hand in episode five. What do you want, you know? Apparently, apparently disarming people is okay for PG, mm-hmm. but but you, you go to the head or you go to children. Look, and whenever you, look, whenever you have a child in a Star Wars movie, it's the kiss of death for your film. Okay? Yeah. I, I, it, it, let's be real. I, 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 what on earth would make, what on earth would make people think that putting kids in a Star Wars movie would make other kids relate to it more? Right. Right. I mean, look at the original trilogy. All the action figures were adult aged and the kids still bought them. Yeah. Right? Ewoks so, were the closest to it. Right. So, you know? and that's where it kind of started to, you know. We kind of, yeah, we kind of scratched our head. But at the time it was like, well, he was talking about the idea of you don't need to be big and strong to overcome. You know, right. again, there's gray area, but it was also the end of the trilogy. Yeah. You know, so it's not like we're looking at it like, you know, what, what the hell is this? It's, we just, we just got, you know, three fantastic movies. Right. And okay, it's going to end like that, but we still got what we wanted. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there, there, was a, there was a serious disconnect, I think, between Lucas and his producers and the and his marketing team um because i'm sure that the marketing team had other ideas and the producers had other ideas you know uh, that that may have been better i don't know i don't know i can't get i'm not you know i can't go inside their heads right but you know speaking from the fact that the director has the final call in these in these movies, you, you have to, they're head scratchers, right? Well, some of these decisions. I would put it to you this way. You ever see the movie Fanboys? Mm. No. Okay. So this was kind of a, this is, I mean, it was, it was a mainstream film, but uh, it did not get, it it did not get as wide of a release as you would want. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest name in it was Kristen Bell. Okay. Um, 
it, worth watching it just for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Ray Park was in it as well in a Star Wars she type was, scene. She, that's the one that was in The Good Place, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and at the end of the film, uh, there's the, the, the three remaining friends are sitting in the movie theater right before episode one is about to start. And as the lights go down, one of them turns to the other ones and goes, what if this sucks? <laughs> you know, and, and it just leaves it. That's where the movie ends. And it shows you that there was that type of disconnect. But on the flip side, when you don't have one person in George Lucas, the creator, the father of this whole thing, calling all the shots, what you get is the, the, the cacophony that was the sequel trilogy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and perhaps this is how we segue to the sequel trilogy because. Oh, wait, wait, one more thing. All right, go ahead. Mace is it, is it a, oh, okay. Yeah. Mace. I was going to, I thought you were going to do a Plinket thing. No, but yeah. so let's talk about Mace Windu for just a second. Okay. All right. So one of the things that Plinket mentions in, in his, in his, uh, in his review of episode, I think this was for episode two's review why samuel l jackson right um you know there are lots of things you have to consider was it because he's black and they needed more black people in star wars was it because he was a big name back then and he was in everything um the answer is yes uh (laughs) to both um i think because they could easily have cast a more mild-mannered and soft-spoken character to be portrayed as a Jedi master, you know, who's supposed to be inward thinking and reserved, right? In Morgan Freeman, they could yep. have used Morgan Freeman or Forrest Whitaker. And, but instead they decided to go with snakes on a plane, Shaft, <laughs> you know. Imagine Samuel if they cast Jackson. Imagine if they cast James Earl Jones. Right. So you know, <laughs> that's like Phil walking into his own room. Yeah, 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 yeah right. That's like if Sean Connery was cast as Kincaid in Skyfall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you have to scratch your head a little bit because there's the money grab right there. I mean, yeah. It, it was he was trying to market to the. Without, you know, the industry, the industry's term is the urban market, yeah. right? And mm. let's face it. I mean, and, and I don't mean to make a blanket statement like this, but there are not that many black people that watch Star Wars, right? I mean, most people, I mean, let's, let's, let's. Send, let's, send your letters to Sean Ryan, uh, care of the OSA no, Foundation. But really, no, but really, if I think, I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's predominantly and I'm, I'm not, I'm just looking at, at this observationally. It's predominantly a, 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 a white market, it, the Star Wars movies. So the, the thing you have to consider is, well, why was Samuel L. Jackson put into, like almost sort of shoehorned into this? Was it because he was black and he wanted to appeal to an audience that really didn't watch the movies to, with which to begin? Yeah. That, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> to begin with? <laughs> but, but those are things you have to consider because if you look at Rogue One, right, with Saul Guerrero, 
right? Right. And that was, he was, Forrest Whitaker was cast now, as Saul Guerrero when it should have been Samuel L. Jackson. Right. The, mm, the more yeah. brash, forward-thinking, hot-headed actor or typecast actor should have been cast as Saul Guerrero. And Forrest Whitaker should have been Mace Windu. If you right. think about how they should have been in terms of their typecast and in terms of their personality should have been cast, but people didn't really know Forrest Whitaker back then. You know, he wasn't really an A-list actor in the early, what was it, two, 1999, 2000s. Yeah. So you, you, those are things you have to consider. And, and you know, I don't know. I just feel like that's, the, that's, that's my reasoning for the, the casting. They should have casted Dave Chappelle. Of course. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I really think Dave Chappelle should have been Mace Windu because you would right. have gotten a much better movie at that point. You know, it certainly would have like, been funnier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, he would have passed I, I, the joint to Yoda to say, this is good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good weed this is. You know? <laughs> uh, all right. I was going to take that. I was going to. I was gonna comment on the Mandalorian, but I don't want to. I don't want to comment on that yet. You said that so soft spokenly, like I like. I'm sorry. I, I can't believe I, I'm part of this conversation. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but you, but you, I think that Phil, if I understand, if I'm, if I use my Jedi powers to understand where you're gonna go here, you know, there is a di there's a diversity thing that has been forced a certain way into the Mandalorian, but probably even more so into the sequel trilogy. Yeah. You know, uh, would that be kind of a, a where I you were headed? Say, uh, not exactly, but uh, that's, that's a, certainly a. Well, where were you going to go, Phil? Because, oh, you know. Well, it was more of a tangential thing. I was just oh, okay. about, about Dave Chappelle made me think about Bill Burr being in the. Uh, oh, right, 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 right. The Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. With, with the TPS reports. <laughs> so all right yeah i i don't why we shouldn't touch on the mandalorian quite all right we'll get to yet. it but um yeah that, go ahead go ahead okay I, I guess so so anyway with with now that we're done our tps reports um <laughs> you can see how some of these issues lead us into the issues with the sequel trilogy and i think that as we kind of quote unquote close the book on the prequel trilogy I think we can agree that that trilogy was not perfect. There were definitely places where it could have been better. There were significant oversights. And, you know, if, if Plinkett can, can sum the whole thing up by saying, Palpatine's behind it all, then, you know, then I think that's all we need to know. We all kind of knew that's where it was going. Drawing any conclusions yet? Yeah. behind it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh man if you haven't seen those go see him the the, the mr they're, plinkett reviews star wars they're very insightful too yes they really are yes they're they're very funny and mm -hmm. and they're but there's it's so true is that mm -hmm. you knew where all of this was going mm -hmm. and because it's almost like because of, you knew that it gave george lucas more leeway to do whatever he wanted because you knew where the destination was, mm -hmm. you know? And I think, I think at least in my experience, when I saw episode three, 
I, I walked out of that theater satisfied because I knew what I was going to get. I knew I was going to get the culmination of fan service, so to speak. And I knew it was going to lead into episode four and it was going to create that cyclical pattern. Right. You know, and, and it was almost like with episode three, George Lucas said, oh, you didn't like one and two? Well, let's just scorch the earth. You know, which is fine. I mean, again, I don't, I don't look at that trilogy and think to myself like, oh man, this was a waste of time. I mean, it was a story that wanted to be told. As an artist, mm -hmm. if you want to tell that story, you tell that story. It was just the manner in which you told the story, you probably should have done a little yeah. bit better with it. Mm -hmm. When you look at the sequel trilogy, we have a whole different set of problems because now George Lucas has sold... Lucasfilm to Disney. He is being nothing more than a consultant. He, has, he even expressed the fact that he gave treatments to Disney for the sequels, and Disney practically threw them out. You know, so George Lucas had an idea of where they, we wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And instead of taking those ideas and molding them using J.J. Abrams' ability to write dialogue... They all just said, nope, let's just, let's just wing it, you know? That's like, that's, like, that's like Jim Gaffigan saying, if you've never experienced a home birth, what a home birth is is where you take the thousands of years of medical knowledge in the world of science and, and arts and medicines and whatnot of giving birth to a baby in a hospital, and you just throw that out the window, and you wing it. You know, hey, hey, I can't program a VCR. I'm here to help. Where would you like me to stand terrified? Because that'll be my contribution. Okay, that's that's what this was. And and it can best be summed up with this question. Why have two seasons of The Mandalorian been that much better than five major movies that we've gotten since that sale? And we can let's dissect this because mm -hmm. can I can I just uh, throw throw this out? Yes, throw this at you. Please do. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're still laughing uh, about it, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and Palpatine's um, behind it all. <laughs> <laughs> I really have to go watch them again. Yeah. Um, I would. I, I okay. So I haven't seen the basically any of the. Uh, of the second season of Man the Mandalorian. Okay. I would submit that the Mandalorian was actually not a very good TV show. I didn't like it. Mute his mic. Yeah. <laughs> Get him out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so but, you know, that, so that's, but that's, that's, that, that's because that. maybe, that, that. maybe that's not your cup of tea. Yeah. That's fair. Can you, can you elaborate on why you, you did not like it? Yes. Um, uh, I thought it was really cheesy. Um, and to, to Sean's point about maybe it not being my cup of tea, well, I have something to tell you. Oh. <laughs> no, I, He's drinking coffee and not tea. <laughs> I, yes. I am. Um, you may be right that it's maybe not. But I. I mean, you can say that about anything. Like, well, if you don't like it, well, maybe it's not your cup of tea. It's like, well, I mean, I, I think that's sort of fair, but at the same time, I think, I think it was just 
there are much there are much better TV shows than than that. Uh, now you said it was. Um, I remember when you and I talked about this before, Sean, that you compared it to more of like a western, and that's—I guess that's—I guess that's fair. I mean, I haven't really watched westerns, but the point remains, I guess, that it was for me poor acting, not a lot of. Um, I guess I'm not used to Star Wars being such a such a disjointed experience and it was i mean it was clearly meant to be these individual episodes right and again you have to remember i only saw the first the first season Mm -hmm. but um to me that um that was a little jarring to i mean there was an ongoing story yeah like throughout like sort of episode to episode Yes, well, it was it was a a thread that ran throughout the throughout the season, mm-hmm. and each individual episode was basically its own thing. I mean, tell me tell me what you guys liked because I I feel like that's more maybe more insightful than me. I mean, I think the setting was to me what a Star Wars movie should be. Um, you know, it wasn't all about Jedi. I you will know, agree I, I, with you that like, there's the like Star Wars universe has way more to tell like. Than... It's not just about lightsabers, <laughs> you right? Know? If you, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I was just so sick of, you know, and I guess that's going back to the prequels for a second. I, you know, it's like there has to be a lightsaber in every scene. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a Star Wars movie without a lightsaber. <laughs> like the, it, uh, like the what was that episode two, with the where it was like the million Jedi yeah battle. Yeah. <laughs> and like, for the record, what Sean, but what you just said and the body movements that you did, mm-hmm. we're gonna take that and we're gonna make that a meme, and <laughs> and it's gonna be you know maybe it'll go up on you're the man now dog dot com or something. But it was <laughs> it, it was that was just brilliant. Yeah, I mean you kind of reminded me of the. The uh, Maya he Maya, (laughs) but I think I think that the Numa Numa guy that was his name, right? I think so. Okay, good. Um, I'm old. That's okay. (laughs) So so are we all? Um, I think that the Mandalorian provided a point of view that Star Wars was more about is was more than just the Force, and Mm -hmm. it was just people in the galaxy, you know, just trying to make a living. <laughs> um, I know. totally agree with that. So I, I, I think in a way it made it more real. I, I, I you know, when you have that, when you have that, that element. Um, you know, I think the thing that spoke to me, and I think this is where perhaps this is where Phil doesn't perhaps align. If you, you know, I mean, Phil. Let's 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 agree that you w- you would not consider yourself the same level of um, problem obsession with Star Wars that Sean and I have. Oh, sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And 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 it is through the the objective 
nature of having you as the voice of reason that makes it, that makes it so important to have you to speak on these topics. Um, when, when someone as uh, problematic as Sean or myself watches Star Wars, okay, mm-hmm. being brought up with the original trilogy, being given a prequel trilogy, and being fed a, 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 a eons of uh, expanded universe material. And I think that's the key here, yeah. is that, mm-hmm. you know, we have been given so much material that has not been George Lucas direct. He has kind of given it his blessing, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which perhaps that speaks to the sportsmanship of George Lucas mm-hmm. in that he can say, okay, I'm going to allow X number of books to be written in the time frame after Return of the Jedi, okay? I'm going to allow uh, Shadows of the Empire to be a great story. I'm going to have the video games of Dark Forces, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight, and Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast, and Jedi Academy, and all those things be um, incredibly popular. I mean, he allowed people to take his vision and run with it. Mm-hmm. And that's to his credit, because we're over here talking about how he has this control over things on the, sequ- on the prequel trilogy and how it turned out to be, quote unquote, junk. I'm using that very, you know, loosely. And, and, and then we're also given all this other great stuff. And we're like, oh, my God, we, we can't get enough of this. Mm-hmm. So, so you get to a point where the sale of Lucasfilm to Disney happens and we're given new movies. Mm-hmm. And we get five new movies. We get a sequel trilogy of seven, eight, and nine, and two standalone films. And people like us look at those films, compare them to what we've had prior with six other movies, expanded universe stuff. And don't forget also that we also had two, actually, I'm gonna go, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna say two major cartoons in the Clone Wars and Rebels mm-hmm. right. that were also light years ahead of these movies in, in content. And those are really marketed for kids to a degree. Mm-hmm. Okay? And by contrast, those movies were horrendous. They peaked with Episode Seven, the first movie. I don't even think episode seven was that great. That's why I'm saying it peaked there. (laughs) Well, look, here's, here's the thing. And when Disney acquired Lucasfilm, they said right off the bat, and I think it was Kathleen Kennedy that said this, that they were not going to use any expanded universe material in the new movies. And right off the bat, I knew as soon as that was announced, there was going to be trouble. Right. Why do you throw away 20 years of books and carefully crafted sequences of events that are flesh with fleshed out characters ready to go only to create a brand new story that is not relevant 
that is so far removed from episode six that you wonder what happened in all this time. Right. You know, like, so, but at the same time, they still used some material from the expanded universe. Right. So they're, they're, they, they want to have their cake and eat it too. Right. Which is bullshit. So I'm gonna call I'm gonna say it right now. No, I agree. When you when you have a fleet of derelict star destroyers from the unknown regions coming from the Sith homeworld, which to them is Exegol, but yeah. it should really be Korriban, let's be real. You have a Sith language and a Sith species. Well, that's all expanded universe material. All of like, the girls who are attracted to Sean while listening to this podcast, are now like, I'm going to go do something else now. All one of them. <laughs> All one of them. <laughs> and she might not even be listening. Right. That's, <laughs> she could feel but, it through the force. Right. But, but, but what I'm saying is that what, what kind of move is that? No, you're absolutely you're, right. You're only taking, you're only picking and choosing what you want to use from the expanded universe, but you're not going to admit Right. You're using that? Well, what's, what's great about that, there is a recent interview done with Alan Dean Foster, who wrote Heir to the Empire and God knows how many other books in the that's expanded. The with, that's the one with Trioculus, right? I believe so. Yeah. So, so he, wrote, he wrote a ton of material in the mm -hmm. expanded universe, okay? And then Kathleen Kennedy comes out, more recently, not, not back when the sale happened and they announced what you said, but more recently and said, you know, the problem is that we don't have source material. We, this is a very difficult nut to crack. Mm -hmm. and, and Alan Dean Foster said, you are wrong. You have tons of source material and you are the one screwing this up. Mm -hmm. So to, to kind of bring it back, it is through all of that, through all of that turmoil, that I think, by contrast, The Mandalorian speaks to fans like Sean and myself. Because now what you're getting is expanded universe material to, to whatever degree you want to. I'm using that term lightly. You're getting additional new material in Star Wars that is considered canonical, mm -hmm. that is not the junk that we have been force-fed. Since I mean, Phil, Phil, do you care that we spoil season two? No, I don't care. I don't okay. Care. So, but one of the things that, that was glaring to me was the reappearance of Boba Fett. And that was alluded to. And, well, no, not alluded to. He was very much in the expanded universe. He was alive. As he was alive. <laughs> he survived the Sarlacc pit. But you wouldn't have known that if you, had not, if you hadn't read the books. So mm -hmm. now they are choosing to use expanded universe material. So like, but they're doing it the right way. Right. You know, they're not alluding to it like, oh, maybe that we can pick and choose. Like, okay, no, this is very much a thing that happened in those books and we're using it in, well, I mean, we're, we're, we're they're cannot, can I, canonizing? Can yes. I, canonizing it, which they should be. Right? I, yes. I, I, I honestly think in, this is a bold statement. You've made I've, plenty of them. I've made plenty of them. <laughs> I think they should do away with the sequel just trilogy as canon. throw it out. I No, I really, I think that they should just erase it 
and it should be an alternate timeline. Retcon it out using yep. the world between worlds. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I, um, but, you know, with, with you, Sean, saying about the, um, you know, about just using the expanded universe material. I mean, couldn't you also argue, though, that, um, I mean, they own the franchise now. Whatever they can make up is they could. Just, like they can make it be. Oh, they, they absolutely. Do they, want. they they totally have carte blanche to do that. Like I don't think I don't think you're wrong, Phil, in any stretch of the imagination for arguing that. And I think that Sean's argument is more based upon the fact of the. This is the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. You you did this properly. This right. was you know this mm-hmm. was this you know in the words of Sean Connery. Well, you're sitting on a gold mine, Trebek. You know, <laughs> like like how do you how do you take such a perfect opportunity and 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 flush it away? How right. do you how do you screw that I, up? I do. Like, I why agree do you, with that. Like like in in okay, here's a great example. In the games, you know, Jedi Outcast, and in the books, it was called the Imperial Remnant. Why change the name to First Order? Yeah. Well, I mean, why not? Why not just, just like what? What? Like, what's the point? What's the point? Just keep yeah. it what it is. Like, okay, look, I don't read. All right, mm-hmm. and Jack, Phil, you know that. Oh my God, do I, I know get, that? I can't get through emails. <laughs> I. But I did read the expanding universe. You got a better shot at telling Sean something by taking him out for golf and explaining it to him on the third hole. I listen to everything you say when I do that. Yeah. And my score suffers as a result. No. <laughs> well, two can play at this game because my score is worse. <laughs> no, but I think what I think what they've failed to do, what Disney has failed to do, was consult these authors. You know, Timothy Zahn, for example with uh although well that article that i sent you jack about mara jade right um how they're thinking of using her as as a a plot point in the future and timothy zahn very clearly clearly stated well i don't want her to be used if she's just going to make a cameo right which good for you zahn yes that's the way it should be like that's his character. You're, I love how you say that. Good for you, Zon. Like he's like he's like Thrawn or something. Like good for you, Thrawn. You know. No, but really, like I, I think that I, I think that he should stick to his guns. If right. They're gonna if they're gonna if Disney is gonna use Mara Jade as a plot point. She should be like a fleshed out character. Right. And incorporated into the story as she was in the books. And let's face it. I mean, the appearance of Luke Skywalker at the end of mando season two further alludes to how he is projected in the books right as you know he looks the same he he very clearly has some sort of academy somewhere yeah he's willing to take in grogu to train him right at the end so i mean and not that has to go in a certain if not if not directly alluding to expanded universe there's definitely a timeline that the mandalorian suggests right and leading and to that point to 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 quickly tangentially if that's the proper word comment on that we saw disney 
take other franchises in directions where they could properly tell stories using the technology to their advantage. And I, I'm specifically thinking of Tron, okay? In, in Tron Legacy, okay, Jeff Bridges plays two characters. And the evil character that he plays, they use technology to de-age him Mm-hmm. to make him look like he would have looked in, you know, the, the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it worked flawlessly, okay? You then saw the same thing occur at the end of season two of Mando mm-hmm. with Mark Hamill, okay? I remember, Sean, you were there when I, when I said it. I said, it could have looked a little bit better, but I thought it looked fine. I mean, again, I, I, I'm, I'm splitting hairs, okay? And, I, and for whatever reason, I'm splitting those hairs. It's not a big deal. We've seen it happen also in Rogue One. The difference in Rogue One was that they didn't use the same characters. They didn't use mm-hmm. Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher, right. okay? Um, they used act, an actor and an actress who look kind of like them and superimposed and, and used, yeah, may use the technology to alter the face. Oh, really? Yes. They could have taken when they announced they're doing this. Okay. They could have taken Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, when she was alive, Mark Hamill and said, all right, we're going to do a shadows of the empire movie. Okay. It's going, to, it's going to focus on Dash Rendar. Great. Okay? The three of you are going to have cameos in it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be the main star. You're each going to have... Which I'm sure they would be fine with that. You're each going to have a you scene know? or two. Okay? Yeah. You're going to need to be on set for a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe two. Okay? And, and, and that's it. And we're going to de-age you, and it's going to be great. So you could have done so much... With yep. that, mm-hmm. and they chose not to, yep. and and so anyway, as I was as I was alluding to before, with the Mandalorian, what you got was you had the itch scratched that fans like Sean and I had that you did not have scratched by those five movies. Right. It was scratched in the same way that it was scratched when you would watch the Clone Wars or Rebels. Okay, mm-hmm. and because of that, that I think is the main thing as to why us super fans, so to speak, mm-hmm. enjoyed the Mandalorian, especially when it did not focus on the Jedi and right. the Skywalkers and yeah. the Force. Okay, I think was- that all makes a lot of sense. My my issue was more with the like the execution of it in in certain respects. Um, cause, because, you know, when you were just saying about you know, the, the, um, like if they were to make a Shadows of the Empire thing, like I totally get that because, you know, I played, uh, God, sorry, my mic is, uh, sorry, it's my chair. Anyway. Chairs are my, hard for uh, Phil. They, yeah, yeah. How dare they construct um, the chair? Yeah. <laughs> um, Do you know that story, Phil, by the way? The how, how dare they construct a chair? Uh, I don't think I know. So, so Sean and I were golfing, and I was driving the cart, and he was in the passenger seat. And I got out, and I, I took my shot, 
and I went to get back into the cart and I hit my head on the roof of the cart. And I went, oh, and he goes, oh, you're right. And I said, how dare they construct a cart? And he just lost it. As if this, you know, like I was going to say, like, how dare someone put this here? But I was me who put that there. And I, so I instead got mad at the person who, who built this cart. So I like it. Anyway, please continue. If you remember where you were. Uh, uh, barely. Um, <laughs> No, it's just with Shadows of the Empire. I played that, you know, when I was young and impressionable. And to me, like, the idea of having a movie well done that has those characters and that, whatever, the plot line in it, like, that excites me. So I I totally get the thing that even if I, even if I didn't read the books and things, and I have no particular connection to that stuff, I understand for someone like you or Sean to see that that bit of the universe or bits of the universe come to life. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. I totally get that. Um, I mean, I read the comic book. And you just I like pictures. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> yeah. I could not put it down. I still have it. It, it, is, it is a riveting story. Yeah. It, it is. And it is so, it, it is it's told in such a way that that you just you just can't put it down you 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 got to keep going and mm-hmm. the game was the same way and when i and i i mean i played the game first before i read before i read the comic um and i loved both and uh i feel like if they had made that into a movie the way that jack described and i'm i'm i'm, I'm sort of echoing your sentiments phil I, I would, I would be, yeah, champing at the bit, yeah, champing at the bit, champing at the bit is something else. Are you sure? I, I think sure it is champing at the bit, though. No, it's, it's got to be champing. I'm champing. pretty sure it's champing. I'm, I'm bringing this up right I, now. I, I hate to, I hate to disagree with our, with our right, illustrious right. host. With our, Hold on, host, host, hostess, host, host. host. <laughs> Okay, it says here, champing at the bit when used figuratively rather than literally, forget the actual horses, means to be eager to start or to be anxious to get moving. Chomping also deals with biting down, but it usually has to deal with eating. The horses aren't stress eating their bits. So they both work. In your case, champing has a little bit better of a meaning. So screw you guys, continue. (laughs) So, Sportsmanship. Yeah. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, so I, I would be really excited about that prospect um, of a Shadows of the Empire movie. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, it's then becomes a question of, well, that's right. We have Disney, don't we? Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. How, how do they uh how can they screw this up right it's you hope that they wouldn't and that they would have enough creative consulting from the people who are involved with the creation of the original story but i i think you know to to kind of put a bow on phil's original point i can understand how someone would look at the mandalorian and not necessarily have the the fanboy reaction that that we would have, mm-hmm. because I think you can make the argument 
based upon some of those points that 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 he made um because it is very much uh, a western feel by contrast to how the 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 movies are more of a samurai feel Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. and 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 if that's not what you're expecting then it it doesn't totally add up you know i think that there, there, there can be some cheesy aspects to it from that point of view. Um, and, and I also think, too, you have to consider the idea that perhaps if you were to get into season two, you might begin, begin to see it a little differently. And I say that because I think that when you're doing something serial of that nature with this, it does take a little while to kind of get things going a little bit yeah okay i definitely felt that way with with the the, with both cartoons uh clone wars and rebels i also felt that way with resistance which was another cartoon that they did after rebels Mm -hmm. that took place in the sequel trilogy timeline um you know and that only lasted two seasons because they abandoned it for other uh stories and Mm -hmm. it never really got fully going as a result of that but there are there are definitely elements of that where you know you have to consider that and furthermore, when you look at some of the elements in even season one of Mando, uh, parts of those come from the cartoons and other things that if you're not the keen observer, you would be like, I don't understand why this is so important. You know, if you, if you didn't see the cartoons, you have no idea why Moff Gideon emerging from his TIE fighter at the end of season one with the Darksaber is such a big idea. Yeah. Okay, so or even the mention of uh, uh, Ahsoka Tano mentioning Thrawn. Exactly. You know, Thrawn made Thrawn was a pretty major character in Rebels. Right. And again, expanded universe. Yeah. Right? Exactly. There. And yeah. There it is. Or or IG Eleven. Yep. You know, in season one. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, all of yeah, these. Yeah, but that. But but that all. I totally get all that. My, I guess it's funny because I never really thought about it this much, but my main problem is just, it was really just like the execution of the show. So you think it was more of a directorial thing? I think there was like poor dialogue and poor acting. Okay. And I just did the thing with my hands that just made me feel like uh, Greg Turkington. (laughs) What what did you do? I was like, hmm, let me see Casablanca and coming up in the rear. I I would have just called you Italian. So, (laughs) yeah. So it's, it's not. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I've laid it out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, and again, it could be, it could be a contrast thing. I didn't look at the dialogue and the casting as that big of a deal Mm-hmm. in the mandalorian by contrast to the other stuff i'll give you another example because sean and i were talking about this a little bit look at the casting in the sequel trilogy okay <laughs> your main characters are a female mm-hmm. an african-american uh someone of hispanic descent mm-hmm. uh and someone of asian descent who then basically gets written out anyway <laughs> okay um 
it, 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 it reeks of meeting a quota. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, um, if you look at Mandalorian, I'm all the- give me one second. I gotta let my cat out. This is driving me nuts. Oh, that's is that code? <laughs> <laughs> and and we're looking at 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 him at the 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 background that he has. I re- I really apologize. That that's was just- okay. That's okay. That was totally code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But anyway, when you look at the casting in The Mandalorian, okay, mm. so The Mandalorian is played by Pedro Pascal, okay, Chilean. so Chilean, okay, mm. uh, Cara Dune is played by Gina Carano, who's a female, mm-hmm. uh, Grief is played by Carl Weathers, who's African American, um, Grogu is a puppet, which is a which is a completely different, different uh, race, okay, <laughs> which, is, which is pretty cool though, actually. Yes, by the way. yes. Um, you know, th- there are elements. And John- Giancarlo Esposito. Yes. Right, yeah. Moff Gideon. Yes. So there are elements of diversity there, but. Uh, wait. Go ahead. But I didn't realize, and maybe maybe you're going to echo my sentiments, but I didn't realize there wasn't a white male lead until the end of season mm-hmm. two. Right. I didn't realize it. Right. And because Would you're, you say you're, it didn't feel forced. Yes. Exactly. You didn't use the force to force it. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I didn't mean to interrupt. But No, like, but you're, I mean, go ahead. But, but we were headed towards the same point. And right. I, and, and the point is that the, your main character's wearing a helmet. You know, right. so that, yeah. that assists it. You, you have this faceless ca- character and race, basically, in Mandalorians or creed, right. people of, of a certain creed, I should say. They're not necessarily a race. Right. And, and they, you know, you don't, it, it never crosses your mind in the same way. Right. You know, so. It's so, a good point. You know, so, so, so that, and, and perhaps the dialogue speaks to that, you know. Um, I felt like the dialogue was minimal. I mean, it was at least in the beginning. Yeah, and it I takes think, it took I time. Think, I think that helped actually because yeah. it sort of you sort of set the scene from a broader point of view that way, right? Without sort of zooming in on one particular aspect of of the story. And I think the the it speaks volumes when you you don't think about the race of the characters within a film because you're just looking at the quality of acting and you're looking at the job that they're doing Mm -hmm. and you're not thinking, okay, do we have a black person? Do we have an Asian person? Do we have a Hispanic person? Like, do do we have everyone? Like, let's, and the thing that I had mentioned to you, Jack, is that, when casting for the sequel trilogy, it's as if Kathleen Kennedy sacrificed quality for the sake of diversity and used, quali- used diversity as the main ingredient with the hopeful byproduct of being quality. Mm-hmm. Where the reverse, I feel, was true for, for John Favreau in The Mandalorian, where he looked at quality and as the main ingredient, and the result was a diversified cast. Right. And it, it achieved the same goal, but without letting us know that, you know, we had to have one of every 
of, of I mean, every the, race. The, the shame about the, the shame of it is, you know, as as you know, obviously I've been frustrated too that like sometimes it, it feels like things are forced, not just with Star Wars, but but obviously the reason that's an issue at, in the first place, the the reason that there's it sometimes feels so much like there's like a quota that the meaning it's born of a of a of a good like i think ultimately a good motive like that it's un that it it feels unfair when if if you know black people or asian people or you know what whatever like if other people are not given the same opportunity to show that, Hey, we can be like awesome actors and actresses as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you understand obviously why ultimately there that's, that happens, but then well, go, go ahead. But, 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 and and I, I, I'm, you start and I'll interrupt. Uh, (laughs) You want me to start and you interrupt? (laughs) So what I was saying was, what I'm thinking of is, you know, um, with the sequel trilogy, right? Right. You had all those races represented, but the main character was still the white one. Yeah, right. She was a female. She, and, well, she yeah. was female, but yeah. she was still put up on a pedestal, right? And sort of the, the other characters were sort of treated in a way, at least in my eyes, where they weren't given enough of the spotlight that she had gotten right i I feel like they were still like theoretically mistreated like backhandedly mistreated in a way here's the thing sean to go back to your point about quality and diversity and the relationship that they play with with one another we, we talk about this we've talked about this in sports a lot too you know we talk about the jessica mendoza effect okay your race gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability, or religion should not preclude you from being able to do a particular job, task, role, etc. Exactly. Okay? It sounds like you've we- read a lot of contracts. Well, well, <laughs> yes, yes. You, 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 yeah. you found me out. Uh, I, my moonlight as a contract lawyer. Um, you yeah i i've been writing a lot of stuff that's basically what i've been doing since the pandemic started is every day i just write contracts um and just and for it, fun just they're for not fun even for anyone no they're just, no <laughs> they're not for anyone and then i make up weird names and i sign them and i've got one right over here that says that you know the cow jumped over the moon with the spoon and the the and mega man has to do all this stuff with 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 uh, Princess Vespa, but none of it can be due to race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, <laughs> disability, or religion. Um, anyway, uh, the point being that those things should not preclude you from being able to, uh, to, to do anything. What should preclude you from being able to do something is whether or not you can do that thing. And conversely, if someone else can do it better than you, okay? If people audition for a particular role, you know, it it, it shouldn't matter that, you know, uh, someone who is white or black 
should get a better opportunity simply because they are white or black. It should be because, well, who's the best actor? And in that particular scenario, if the part requires the actor or actress to be of a certain race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability, or religion, you know, in order to portray that on the film, you have to take that into account, okay? You can't have, you can't have Idris Elba playing James Bond, okay? That'd be like having Yafet Koto playing JFK, okay? You just can't do it, okay? Um, I just thought of That's I not just who thought the character of is. Right, exactly. exactly. So you can't, you can't do that, okay? We talk about it with the Jessica Mendoza effect, Jessica Mendoza being, you know, the color commentator for baseball games on ESPN, and we talk about just how much we dislike her in that role. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. It has everything to do with the fact that she's not good at her job and that she doesn't know what she's talking about, okay? For the same reason that we said Aaron Boone was terrible at that job. And he played baseball, okay? But he was terrible. And he's still terrible as a manager. But so I digress. I, I, I just thought of something. Uh-oh, that's never good. What if <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy did not use the expanded universe material because there were no minorities in those books? Uh, wouldn't you know what? Was Lando in those books? No, he was, but... Okay, I don't know if you know this about Billy D. Williams, but he's black. But, but that, that was it, I think. That was it, yeah. So what it... So you, you, you could be right. Another question. Like, now, now I'll, I'm going to take it one step further. Kathleen Kennedy came out and said, the force is female. Now, really? in, yes, she said this. I don't know what that means. Well, I'm going to tell you what it means, okay? <laughs> if you look at this from the standpoint of uh, religious studies, and as someone who studied religious studies, I can speak to this a little bit. There are certain elements in Christian studies where the female gender is assigned to a particular um, being. Specifically speaking, uh, wisdom has always been considered kind of female uh, in the Old Testament. Um, we look at Mother Earth, okay, as being female. Mm -hmm. And in uh, Christian theology, the Holy Spirit tends to be considered female, okay? Mm -hmm. um, in, in some circles. I, I, I don't want to speak for all Christian sects and denominations, right. but in my, in my studies, the, you know, it seems to be more often than not that the Holy Spirit is considered, you know, although we look at the Trinity and we say that Jesus was a male, we, we tend to believe that the, the essence of God and Holy Spirit might be genderless, but we have the idea of associating the essence of God as the man with the, with the white beard sitting on the cloud and by contrast, the Holy Spirit is, is, you know, associated with the dove and tends to be female. So if you look at the Holy Spirit as being female in, in, in that context, I understand why she would say that the force is female, because you're, you're mm -hmm. copying and pasting the same idea. And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. from that standpoint, you make, a, you make a very good argument, okay? 
If you're making that argument to force diversity, now we have a different situation, okay? And, and that's, that, that's where you begin to get back into this whole thing of if you're forcing diversity, you, you, you have a problem. Um, it's the same thing as collegiate admissions, okay? Um, I don't think I'm breaking any new ground here when I say that uh, ideas such as affirmative action and minority quotas dictate the acceptance rate uh, for various uh, higher learning institutions, okay? If you are a female, if you are of minority descent, uh, you may get uh, preference over a white male for acceptance into a, a, a college or university. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm being outlandish by saying that, okay? And so, what I, will, what I will say in addendum, in addition to that, is so, sorry to interrupt. That's okay. I'm doing that a lot today. You're, you're, you, I'm, I'm I got jokes terrible, there, but I'll let them all go. I'm a terrible person. But we knew that. What I will say in addition to that is that affirmative action, I think, hurts the intended recipient or the retent the i think it hurts the intended beneficiary more than it hurts others right i i think because you're sort of then giving minorities sort of a false sense of accomplishment in a way right, right. and mm-hmm. and and i think that in a way it it it, it hurts them more it, it, when you when you incorporate affirmative action because you're still making a decision in part or entirely based on someone's race which is in in and of itself racism right you're you're I, 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 maybe i'm making a stretch here but you're kind of lowering the bar yeah unfairly mm-hmm. you know and because simply because of of, of a, an outline qualifier mm-hmm. you know and you're taking that into account it's like saying it's like grading on a curve, right? You know, if you have, if you have 20 students in a class and they're all not doing well and a teacher grades on a curve so that they're all kind of then put up so that at least some of them are doing well, mm-hmm. are you really helping those students? And especially if there's a, if that course is a prerequisite to another course. Exactly. Exactly. They go on to the next course thinking, well, I got an A. Right. Even though I had a 79 average. Right. But now, what granted, if the other teacher the, is going to be like, no, <clears throat> screw you. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to grade on a curve. You got to work your ass off right. in my class and they get a, a harsh reality call. Yeah. I, I think call. the, I think the, I mean, the tricky thing about it is that like you're trying to fix one problem with a solution, like a mismatched solution kind of, you know, mm-hmm. because I mean, we can't of course pretend that um that minorities are disadvantaged in some ways compared to you know whatever a, a white male in mm-hmm. at least in our society of but course. but then but then you're tra- you're trying to like basically put a band-aid on a problem that's really much deeper which i mean listen that i mean <laughs> that could be a whole a whole other, yeah. 
Right. I don't think I don't think we're denying that there isn't a foundational problem from the get go. I think what we're doing is we're saying if, if, if we allude this to a pendulum, okay, and the pendulum was all that was pulled to far to one side because we have, you know, done certain things to, to put people in the categories of different race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability, and religion, mm-hmm. uh, that, that is unfair. Instead of getting the pendulum back to center, we're letting it swing all the way to the other side. Yeah. Which is which is not doesn't good either. Happen. Doesn't help us. <laughs> yeah. That pendulum needs to be in the middle. You okay? can't deal in absolutes. Exactly. Like Sith can. <laughs> like Sith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sith happens. What can I say? Baha. <laughs> 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 the French. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I feel so- like the I feel like the curb your enthusiasm music should just come on. At- <laughs> <laughs> bump, bump, bump. <laughs> either that or uh then wasn't wasn't there was a curb your enthusiasm star wars bit i think in family guy where really? yeah where uh in they they cut to episode four and uh they're doing the death star uh meeting and wedge says uh that's impossible even for a computer and and luke goes it's not impossible i used to eat bullseye womp rats in my t16 back home they're not much bigger than two meters and wedge says can i can I talk to you over there, please? And they both go over there, and it's just you kind of, kind of sandbagged me back there. Oh yeah, it's like, I'm just pointing out something. It's like you, you made me look pretty bad in front of everybody. I, I wasn't doing, you know, like, you know, you know, go go blow up this Death Star yourself. And then he walks away, and you hear boom, 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 da, 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 as 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 Luke is kind of like, what just happened? You know, I gotta watch that again. Yeah. Um, there's so many not to be too tangential here but there are so many great star wars parody bits you know and and that's kind of an element of good sportsmanship in that they can they can kind of poke fun at it in a way that makes all of us not feel like there's something bad going on you know and george lucas himself welcomed it like when anytime family guy would 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 do anything with it he found it hilarious Mm -hmm. you know no stranger than when darth vader was a meter maid you know and there's darth vader (laughs) writing a ticket and you're like oh come on i was just i already started writing the ticket then you then he then they're yelling at darth vader then he's in the shower naked except for just the helmet and his hands up against the wall with the water running on him and he's and then he's in bed with his girlfriend he's like I just got to. I got to do it, Sharon. I just have to do it, okay? <laughs> then you see him in the bank, and the and the loan officers going, "Why do you want this money? I want to. I want to build a space station big enough to destroy a planet. I don't know if that would be a good investment on our part. I mean, I want to open a sports bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's great. That's that's so much of that is is so good. I mean, you and I were talking about it while we were playing golf. The uh, the robot chicken episode. <laughs> With, uh, with, with, yeah, so I threw the center. Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, you made it come out of my nose. <laughs> and the best lines of it: "Who's they? What the hell's an aluminum falcon?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so anyway, yeah, sportsmanship, spe- uh, sequel trilogy. Yeah, and, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Phil, you're playing uh, right now. You're playing the game. Uh, um, Jedi, Jedi Fallen, Fallen Order. Order. And uh, it's a great game. 
It is. It's a great story, and it and it and it it sticks close. It takes place just before episode four, and um, you know it's. It does. I feel like yeah. I think it's just before. Maybe, maybe it could be. Yeah, because Sa- Saul Guerrero is in it, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so yes, it, yes, yes, yes. So it has to be right so, before Rogue One. So, so I, I, what I really like about that is like the setting. I feel like the setting of the original trilogy is, I mean, I guess because that's what we're all sort of used to, but right, I feel yeah. like that's the one that sort of resonates the most with me, at least. It's just like, it just feels more comfortable being in that original trilogy setting. And perhaps that's why we like The Mandalorian, because it's that close to the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And you know? Expanded Universe, I think the farthest removed it goes from Jedi is 30 years or 35 years within the Star Wars timeline. I think that's the last of the... Mm. I mean, there, there are much more. There are books that take place hundreds of years after. But, 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 but I mean, in terms of like the immediate Skywalker family. Right. Right. The, the last story, I think, is 40 years after uh, Jedi. Um, but I, but the, the, the point is that, you know, with the expanded universe and you know, Disney, Disney's outright refusal to use it, but then kind of welcoming it a little bit, well, I mean, I think they saw the reaction that the fans had and realized that they made a boo-boo, you know? I think, you know, I'm sure this is not breaking any, any news, but would the sequel trilogy have been better if the main characters from the original trilogy were the main characters in the sequel trilogy? You know, I, I think that... Well, maybe not the main characters, but I mean, like, at least the solo kids... Right. You need, I mean, let's, I mean, let's I face Daisy it. Ridley, Daisy Ridley would have made a great Jaina Solo. Oh, I, listen, I don't have a problem with the way that Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, or Oscar Isaac portrayed their characters. You know, I they were fantastic. I, I do not, I, I like, I, they, they, there was nothing inherently wrong with, let's say, episode seven mm-hmm. when it comes to that stuff. Okay. Um, it was more along the lines of some of the other things that we've already discussed, but I, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're, you're forced into a corner based upon what you could do mm-hmm. as a result of this. Um, your hands were kind of, of, as a result of some of the decisions that were made with, with, with regard to some of the things we talked about, um, with with the with the use of the or the non-use of the expanded universe, uh, so the way that you d- decided to take the you know I look at it this way too. Harrison Ford was going to be difficult, no matter how you you break it down. Mm-hmm. Okay, Harrison Ford did not want to return as Han Solo. He was adamant in the original trilogy that the character of Han Solo should not have survived Episode Five. He was adamant that the carbonite freezing should have killed him. Okay, that or or that or that he, you know, the, the character should have been given uh, a a righteous death yeah. in order That's to give to give give the character some weight. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a it, and that, and in fairness, 
that archetype of the person who's the non-believer, you know, who, who eventually starts to come around a little bit, does fall victim to that in many other stories. This person who's not quite all in towards the climax realizes I'm the one who has to sacrifice himself in order to let the greater good win here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I, I think of a book I read in fifth grade, um, The Black Cauldron. It was part of the um, Lloyd Christopher, I think, Lloyd Alexander uh, books, uh, The Book of Three um, was the first book, and The Black Cauldron was the second one. And it had, it had characters like uh, Turan and uh, Island Wee. And I don't know. It was a fantasy-type book. You may have read it. You may not have. I might just be speaking. It sounds sort of familiar. But anyway. I, I don't. I have never heard of it. Anyway, in, in The Black Cauldron, there was a character that was introduced. This is the second of five books. And I can't remember the character's name. But he's like on the outskirts of this group. He's kind of an ally. He's not buying in. You know, he's doing things reluctantly. And at the end, he realizes he has to sacrifice himself so that all the other main characters can win. Mm. And he ends up throwing himself into the Black Cauldron. Like, there has to be a a, a living person has to go into the Black Cauldron and die in order for it to be destroyed. And he just jumps in himself. Mm. So, spoiler alert. Um, You know, but but the idea is that that's what Harrison Ford wanted with his character. And if you were going to get him to come back for the sequel trilogy, he was not going to do anything unless he could only do one movie in episode seven and his character could be killed off. Mm. So you had to do that if you were going to do it. So could you say that Harrison Ford was uh, imposing poor sportsmanship because of that? It had to be his way. Mm. You know, because if, if you didn't do that, you didn't know if you were going to have him at all. You know, so that's not... I think they just shouldn't have had him. Yeah, I mean, see, so, so I mean, I think that's a reasonable argument to discuss mm-hmm. is that, you know, but, but by the, on the flip side, we're talking about this trilogy, this sequel trilogy probably should have focused more on the original characters in some way, shape, or form. Now, you know, it doesn't really, we can go in, a, in any different direction mm-hmm. we want with it. But, but I mean, th- those were some of the issues that it faced. And so you have all the, you know, you have another side of things that brings it back to poor sportsmanship, where someone doesn't want to play in the sandbox in a cooperative manner. And if you can't get him to play, the, if he's not going to play his way, he doesn't want to play at all. And how does that affect the rest of everyone else? Exactly. You know, you know, uh, that's. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, with uh, when we were when we were talking with Gil Ember in our last episode, he mentioned the idea of you know individual accomplishments over the success of the many, and how that can be toxic in a sports, but also a non-sports environment. And when one person sort of messes up it they 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 you know they they punish the one person and they leave the rest of the team out of it mm-hmm. but in a case like this where one actor whose character is integral 
And I, and I mean, the, the quintessential integral character in the Star Wars franchise is, is sort of wishy-washy or not really into the whole idea of playing that character. That affects everyone else. Yeah. And poorly. I mean, I, one, of the, one, of the, one of the great examples was Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill. Yeah. We're at odds with one another during episode eight because yeah, it's interesting. It was like, what are you doing to this character? <laughs> and and this is the this is the example of like with George Lucas not consulting the character, not cons- like listen, Luke Skywalker is the poster boy for Star Wars. Let's just be real about this. He is Star Wars. He encapsulates Star mm-hmm. Wars, and when you are dealing with someone who plays who played Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy you kind of got to go with what he what's in his gut and what he's thinking about the character or you at least got to talk to him about it right and 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 come up with you know and and dialogue about a compromise well and then if you're thinking along those lines um thinking back about what you were saying Jack about uh regarding What's his name? Harrison Ford. Yeah. Um, it, it makes me think, you know, if he felt that strongly about the character, you know, again, at what point is it? Is it poor sportsmanship, or or is it, you know, really sticking to your guns because you believe? I mean, I don't know what it was in his case specifically, but like, but there is something to be said for sticking to your guns and yes. saying. No, I'm I'm not gonna. It's the it's the truth versus tribe argument. In that the mm. the world wants you to do one thing that may not be necessarily right, and you are sticking to your guns and saying no. What I believe in my heart is is the truth, mm-hmm. and I'm you going do what's to right or do you do what's popular? Exactly. Yeah. You know, the and and of public opinion. Right. And I, I I I totally agree that you could make that argument. But then Harrison Ford came back for a scene in episode nine. That actually, that's true. Okay, that's, yeah. that's true. So, uh, so it was like you didn't even stick to your guns anyway. Right. How much money you know? offered? Exactly. You're like, I don't want to do this. We'll money? give you eight billion dollars. Right, right. I'll, Listen, I'll give I'm you sure. a day. <laughs> you know? Harrison Ford was getting. Uh, a lot of fines from that, you know, taxiing in front of another plane. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you park the Millennium Falcon in the wrong place, and they're going to put a, you know, a, one of those. Uh, what do they put on the wheels that they, the clamp the boots? Yeah, yeah. We put a boot on the Millennium Falcon. How would that work in space? Um, there is some. They, well, isn't that what isn't that what happened in Solo? When yeah. In, yeah, and Lando still owned the Falcon. Yeah. They go to take him, they go to it, and they're like, um, someone put a boot on the Millennium Falcon, you know? <laughs> so it's but you know, but it but yeah, I mean, listen, I don't have an issue with people sticking <clears throat> to their guns. But then the next question is where what kind of a what kind of a moral stance are you trying to take? And at what yeah. expense? Exactly. This mm-hmm. is this is artistic storytelling. Okay. This isn't like, are you going to degrade yourself? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, again, I don't have a problem with people sticking to their guns. I just don't, I just don't know in this specific instant, instance if, you know, is, is it that big of a deal 
I mean, where, where he said, I just don't want to be doing this anymore, you know? So, so was there something else at play in Harrison Ford's heart? Was he at, was he at odds with George Lucas? I mean, like who, who knows? Who knows yeah. There's so many different things that we just don't know, but I understand the point very, very specifically. Um, and, you know, to, to kind of wrap it up with, with, you know, you mentioned Luke Skywalker being the poster boy for Star Wars. I think this is a good place to almost try and wrap it up since we are going on for a long-ass time. Over two hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, recently, I want to I mention this story because it, again, speaks to sportsmanship. Again, spoiler alert when it comes to Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Okay? In the final episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, we get a cameo from Luke Skywalker, okay? We talked about it already, where they de-age him. He's not on screen for a very long time, okay? But it is the quintessential moment where fans everywhere who have invested so much into this franchise, who were disappointed with the five Disney Star Wars movies, say to themselves, thank you for giving the six-year-old inside me, the Luke Skywalker that we wanted in episode eight. Right. Okay. Mm. Even just for a brief moment. Um, it's, and, and, and the way that they did it, the way that Favreau and Filoni did it was perfect. Don't know if it could be better. They kept it quiet too. Yes. Miraculously. I don't know how they were able to keep like, it was, it was, I mean, it was so good that as you and I are watching it in live t- time, Sean, uh, you know, we're guessing, like, who could this be? And eventually we just go- start going off the rails of not even guessing Jedi anymore. We're like, right. uh, that's my dry cleaner, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's, br- he's bringing me the shirts that have been in the dry cleaner since the pandemic started. Um, and I think that I mean, it, it was so touching and so moving and so perfect that a Star Wars YouTuber who runs StarWarsTheory.com, I don't, think he, I don't think his name is known. I think he keeps it private. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, but he, 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 he's probably one of the best Star Wars YouTubers around. And he's, he, I think he's in Canada, so we're sorry, um, you know, Canadians. <laughs> an entire entire country named Doug, you know. Um, all every Canadian, it was just like you know what I'm, I'm sick of this show. He's he's live streaming while he himself watching it and reacting to it, mm. and he breaks down and cries. Mm. Wow. Okay, this is a dude who, uh, I, I from what I, I don't know this for sure, but I think he's a cancer survivor. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's had a, he's had a go of it and he said in his, as he's watching, thank you again for, for pleasing my inner six-year-old, you know, it's, it's everything that he wanted. It was, it was a very touching moment. And Pablo Hidalgo, who works for Lucasfilm, who is considered the Yoda of Lucasfilm as his job is to be the guardian of the canon, basically privately tweets out something in response to the, the, this, this occurrence where he says, quote, emotions are not to be shared. 
Oh, I think I just saw something about that. Yeah. So it it goes back and forth and people come down on him and this, that, the other. He deletes the tweet. He actually then takes the tweet and put, makes it his header picture on his Twitter page because people who couldn't can't see his timeline, his Twitter feed, wanted to at least see what was said. And then he, he clarifies it later by saying, quote, I wish to clarify that my post that, that quote, emotions are not to be shared, end quote, was sarcastic self-mockery and was certainly not intended to be hurtful to anyone, and I'm deeply sorry that it was. As a lifelong fan, I appreciate fans expressing how they feel. It's what being a fan is about, end quote. And it ignites a firestorm because the dude was trying, you know, what, I mean, it just comes off the wrong way. And again, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say, yeah, we, we make terrible jokes. We say things in jests. We put our feet in our mouths. Okay. And as musicians, we do it a lot more frequently. You know, we love terrible humor. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I don't personally believe, you know, we talk about sportsmanship and what's wrong with this world and whatnot. A mistake like this is not worth Hidalgo being fired. Okay. In my opinion, I think the world would call mm -hmm. for him to be quote unquote canceled. And we've talked about how the cancel culture is toxic. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's necessary. Um, you know, it's, it's it, it, firing someone or canceling them, so to speak, only becomes a, a, a last resort when they, do something repeatedly over and over again and don't, you know, either don't show improvement or remorse or anything, you know, and they, and they keep playing us, whatever the case may be. And I don't think that this is a situation where it's called for that. Um, but it does beg the question as to why Pablo Hidalgo felt the need to express something that he, although he considered it a joke, why it had to go into a public forum. Right. Why did he have to tweet that even privately? It doesn't make any sense. Why couldn't he just text it to somebody? Why couldn't he use a private direct message? You know, why, you know is there an, an inherent element of truth to what he had to say with regard to his feelings? Like, does, do you think he really believes this? I, think I just the method I, in which he the method in which he shared it sort of alludes to that, right? right? Because why would why else would he say something like that other than to, to be other than to be adamant or convicted in his beliefs that well, I this think, kid should just, sorry, you know, be, this kid should just be quiet yeah, or, you know, that sort of thing. Like if he really wanted to be, a, wanted to joke about it, he could have just sent him or just told other people like, oh, man, this kid needs to, mm -hmm. you know, pipe down like to, to, to his friends or something. I'm sure they wouldn't share it, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I guess there's some there's some there's some validity to that statement. I just I just don't understand why a response like that has to go into such a public forum. And I think it speaks not only to the you know certain aspects of culture like you know okay, do we want to get into the argument of are people too soft and do we need to be expressing our emotions like that? Or do we need to talk about how social media is destroying us? I mean, mm -hmm. that was more the long the lines I was going to go. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think that's the better route to go is that you're, listen, if Pablo Hidalgo truly feels this way, he has the right to feel this way. Okay. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell him. I mean, that's just Liberty. He's allowed to feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's more, I, I would, I would probably argue it's more along the lines of saying you, you, why, why has social media granted him the opportunity to express such an emotion in a, in a way that could be significantly harmful to others? If he wants, if he thinks that emotions should not be shared like that, listen, people are going to disagree with him and that's fine. But why, why talk about it? Do you really do, do we really have a problem with that in this world? And that's not a discussion that I think is inherent to this particular part of the, of the, of the conversation. We can talk about that another time. It's more about the sportsmanship of why do you have to share that? Do you, do you have to be on, you know, the bigger man here? Do you have to exert your dominance over an innocent fan? I think it goes back to what I was, you know, I mentioned earlier on in the podcast of like, just having empathy for other people in it. And it, well, and again, I, you know, I don't want to get into a huge thing about social media, but it seems to me that Twitter especially is like, it just, it just promotes this like one-off, you know, little, this little stream of consciousness almost that, that people have that they're able to then just, tweet out to you know in the case of this person you know you have a lot of you have a lot of followers that dumb little thought that was in your head and you know i don't even want to say dumb but like just whatever thought is in your head whether you want it you know not everything that you think should should necessarily go out into the world right so so all that is to say, if you are in a position where something you say out loud is going to to negatively impact somebody else, you know you want to you want to be um, empathetic toward toward other people and right. and have that have that mindset set of having good sportsmanship. That like yeah, it's my right to say this. I. I can say whatever I want, but you know, is that something you really, is that something you would want other people to say to you? you, Exactly. Because you could, you could spin this any number of ways. It comes back to the idea of treating other people, how you would want to be treated. Right. Because if you wouldn't want somebody to say something to you that you would deem offensive in this manner, why would you do that to another person? Right. You know, why, if, if, if you don't, if you don't want someone to come to you and tell you whatever it is about how you are not hitting the mark, how you're not good, how you're not, you know, bringing about shame, guilt, whatever the case may be, it's probably not the best thing for you to be doing it to other people in the first place. Because we, again, like we said, we can dissect this stuff <clears throat> very, very fine. I mean, we can slice the bologna real thin here if we really wanted to. And it's more about the empathy because, I mean, you could even say, is he sticking to his guns with the idea of, I really feel that our society has gotten soft and this is another example of how we shouldn't be this soft. But the fact of the matter is that that's not something that needs to be expressed this way. 
Right. If he really felt that, like, he could have said that better rather than just... not linked to a specific thing. Right. He could, he could have not just fired off a random tweet yeah. about it. You know, he could have said in some well-thought-out diatribe, mm -hmm. I think this, and here's why, and let's talk about it, rather than just saying, ah, screw you. You know, like, that's not, that's not sportsmanship. That's not good sportsmanship. But remember, the reaction, right? It's not so much it, it, the reaction for, for him getting fired, right? Right, which he was not. But, but talking about, but even entertaining the idea. Right. Right, is, because is, is reflective of the reactionary response that our society has these days. Right, you're absolutely right. The cancel culture. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's toxic. Yeah. You're, so, you're, you're ultimately saying the other side of it, which is equally as important, which is he's in the wrong, but it's not, the, the consequence should not be losing his job. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we all make mistakes. And, and I mean, we, we focus on that at OSIP all the time. We focus on, I think we focus on both sides of the coin in that on one hand, you want to be empathetic. You want to treat other people the way you, you should be treated and you don't want to be saying things like x y and z but on the other side of the coin when you do make a mistake you need to be empathetic for that too and you can't yeah. you can't be demanding a pound of flesh because of that mm -hmm. and i think i think to kind of tie it all together when we look at star wars when we look at the, the prequel trilogy the sequel trilogy the standalone movies the the disney plus series the cartoons everything we see how empathy allows us to better understand the decisions made. And although we may not agree with them, it, sh it sheds light into why they were made a certain way. And it allows us to understand those decisions and understand why we don't agree with them. And it, right. takes, it takes away the malice. You know, I think we can all agree we didn't like certain aspects of what George Lucas did with the prequel trilogy. And we certainly did not like a lot of things done by Kathleen Kennedy with the five movies since the Disney acquisition. Right. Okay. None of this means that anybody should necessarily be, you know, flogged and beaten, potentially lose a job. Okay. We don't need to sentence Kathleen Kennedy to, you know, the fiery pits of hell. Um, we need to examine the mistakes made, figure out why they were made, and make better choices in the future. Mm -hmm. That's the growth of good sportsmanship. Yeah. Um, Can I interject for just a second? Please do. Phil, um, yes. your, you have entered your own room 900 times. I was, yeah, <laughs> I was literally <laughs> thinking... I wonder if somebody's counting this. And See, Sean, Sean was, was counting. See, what I did was I, 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 calc I counted how many seconds between each time you entered your own room, and it's nine seconds. <laughs> I, divided, I divided that 60, by 60, of... 60 yeah, seconds, 90, 6.6 .6 times 135 <laughs> minutes is about the, how long this was. And, yeah, 900. Was, yeah. 
to, in, in case we didn't explain it, everyone knows that Zoom has the ability to set your own background. Well, Phil created a little movie before he signed on. And what he did for his background was he opened his, the door to where his computer is, the room where his computer is, and he walked in, saw him as himself, looked at it, made like a, like a oh God face, and then, and then backed out slowly. So that as Phil is sitting at, in front of the computer, you see Phil coming in his room, looking at Phil, going, oh God. And then going right back out. I and, took a picture of it. Yeah, and there are, <laughs> this has happened 900 plus times now mm-hmm. during the course of this podcast. Yep. So that's the I, real, that's the point of this whole thing. This right? whole thing. That, and that's good sportsmanship right there. Okay. <laughs> the ability to kind of like <laughs> at this whole thing. So I think, I think that is where we need to place the bookmark for today. Yes. So, um, Phil, thank you for joining us uh, to offer your opinion on this, especially as the objective fan. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate it. it was, um, there's obviously more to talk about, of course, but oh, yeah. uh, I appreciate being able, to, being able to chat with you guys. Yeah, and Sean, thank you as always. And um, as a reminder to everybody, osafoundation.org. The email address is podcast at osafoundation.org. Uh, Facebook.com slash Osip Foundation, Twitter and Instagram at Osip Foundation, hashtag how you play the game. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks. Uh, And until then, everybody, may the force be with you and treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the Osip Foundation, Incorporated. The producer engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by Soundspring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osafoundation.org.